Because God's blessings have proved that He is happy with what's happening around here. He is happy about a church in this city. Otherwise, we would have been gone a long time ago. Things would never have come together when those bills had to be met for the church. They would not have been met if this wasn't God's will. But this morning I'm reading from Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. One verse. Galatians 6 and 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let's go ahead and look to the Lord in prayer. Brother Harris, can you stand and pray for the message of Messenger today? Father, we thank you once again to be in the house of the Lord to hear your word. Oh God, we pray that you will speak to each and every heart as he goes on the podcast, Lord. Lord God, let everybody know that you still love us, you still care about us, that you're still there. Lord God, you just want us to apply and allow your word to work through us. We ask that you bless our brother as, as he deliver your word, give him a fresh unction by the Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Preaching this morning on the title message, Sowing Weeds, Hoping for Fruit. Sowing weeds, hoping for fruit. Planting, gardening, farming, all have one thing in common. If you want something specific to grow, you have to use the correct seed. You cannot plant a watermelon seed and hope for a tomato plant. You can't plant corn and hope for broccoli. You cannot plant poison ivy and hope for an apple tree. As believers, one thing we must be attentive in is making sure we are not sowing bad seeds in our lives and in the lives of others. Let's look at this law of sowing and reaping. The term sowing and reaping are agricultural terms, and the Bible uses it here. It relates to the kind of society they had back then where everybody was a farmer. Either you're a farmer or a fisher. Fisherman, whatever it is. That was your main source of food. They're agricultural terms, sowing and reaping. Sowing means planting. Reaping means you're plucking of that plant. And we ought to consider it in that way. This sowing and reaping. When we read the Bible about sowing and reaping, we got to put our mind in this... Uh, in like an imagination, we got to look as us in a field, planting and plucking up and reaping of the harvest. A lot of people view this concept like they do with the idea of karma. The, we've heard of karma before. You get what you do or whatever it is. If we do something bad or wrong, that years later, out of the blue, you're going to pay the price of it. You see movies of that. Maybe the, the kid kicked the dog when he was younger. And then when he's like 60 years old, now the dog comes back from the dead and haunts him. Karma. And that's how people think of sowing and reaping. That It's not going to happen right away. Years down the road is when I'm going to be affected by it. And, that, and that's not what it means always. That later on, 
your, your present actions will lead to a distant future consequences. Sometimes the effect is sudden. If you play with fireworks, it blows up in your hand. You will reap it immediately. But sometimes it does take time. You eat unhealthy food today, you're going to have health complications later on down the road. So either way, you're going to reap right away, or you're going to reap later on. But sowing and reaping doesn't always mean you receive bad. You sow good things, you will reap good things. And that's what our Bible reading is telling us. That if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to uh, reap everlasting life. The field of our lives. Our lives are a field. And they are empty. Just dirt. Nothing has grown. Just dirt, like a sandlot. Like that movie Sandlot. Kids playing baseball. Just dirt. When we accepted Jesus into our lives and we're born again, we receive this plot of land. Just dirt. Now the Bible says this, Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a gift from God. It cannot be earned, it cannot be bought, it cannot be stolen, it cannot be swapped out. It is received by a person who has looked at his or her situation, the condition of their life, their condition of soul, and realized that they needed help. We did that. We looked down, we looked at ourselves one day, and we said, there's something missing. There's something not going right in my life. And I don't know what it is. All I know is that this person is telling me about Jesus. That this person is telling me that Jesus can lead me to the green pastures. So I'm going to go ahead and pursue that. Salvation is received. God is putting it out there for all of mankind to grab a hold of. And we just got to receive it. And when it comes to sin, repenting of sin doesn't bring salvation. That's not biblical. To say, Lord, forgive me of my sins does not save you. Because it isn't until you are saved that God begins to reveal your sin. That's when your sin is revealed. The only sin that a person must repent of in order to be saved is the sin of unbelief. He said we are saved by faith, belief. That's why that one gentleman in the Bible said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. He had another issue. He had something else going on. And when Jesus said, there's something I can do right now because of your unbelief, that's when he said, you know what, Lord, that's what's stopping me from receiving my blessing is my unbelief. But Jesus went into that city and said that he could not do many works because of the people's unbelief. Unbelief is what stops people from getting saved. You don't have to have uh, a clean slate when you walk into a church for the first time you can give your life to Christ you lay your sins at the altar after you said Lord I believe and I'm going to the altar you don't go to the altar if you don't believe atheism is worse than any type of following of Islam or any other religion at least those other religions know that there is a higher power they may not know the, which one is the correct one 
They may be worshiping a, for, a false idol, a, for, a false god, but at least they know that there is something bigger than them. It's the atheists, and they know that God exists. Because that's why they fight so hard against it. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. If you don't care about something, you're not going to be focused on that. But the, those internet atheists, they're always online uh, typing away, trying to disprove religion because they're trying to soothe their own conscience. They want the proof to themselves that there is no God, but they can't, no matter how hard they try. But once we are saved, after we've believed that Jesus is Lord and He died for our sins, once our slate has been cleared, that is when we have to work. That's when we have work to do. We're not saved through works, but when we're saved, that's when we have to start working. The supposed sinner's prayer means nothing if the person praying it doesn't believe who Jesus is. And that Jesus is who he says he was. Or is. That's why when I do pray with people, I, I do lead them in the sinner's prayer. But I always state first, this has to come from your own heart. I want you to repeat after me, but it's got to come from your own heart. Because just repeating my words ain't going to save them. They have to say to themselves, I believe Jesus is Lord. I've made it up in my mind that He is Lord. We have a choice to make when we are saved. What to do with this plot of land that God has given us. Just like He did with Israel. He took Israel out of bondage. Led them through the wilderness. And gave them the land. And said, now the land is yours. What will you do with it? Will you honor me with your land? What do we plant now that we got this land? We all know that we want to plant good things. We can all admit that. That we want good things. But unfortunately many believers plant the wrong seeds. We're talking about sowing weeds but hoping for fruit. Matthew 13 to 24 gives us a parable. And we're going to take it a little bit out of context, but there's many points in it that we want to use. And so the parable of the tares and the wheat. And we'll just read one portion of it. Matthew 13 and 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. What Jesus was doing here in this parable, the context of it, was he was talking about the wicked and the excuse me, the wicked and the righteous being together, growing up together in this world. And God one day will separate the good from the bad. Because they asked the man, they asked the, the, the farmer, the landowner, your enemy has come and planted the tares with the wheat. Shall we tear up the wheat? And he said, no, because at least you tear up the wheat also. Let them grow together. And then at the end, when they're separated enough, when we can tell the wheat from the tares, because they look similar, then we can pluck them out separately, cast the tares into the fire, but the wheat will garner up together. But I've noticed things when I was reading this parable. says that the enemy came in unbeknownst 
to the farmer and planted the bad seeds. We are in full control of our field and what gets planted into it. The enemy cannot go unknown onto our field and put the wrong seeds. If wrong seeds are planted in the field, it's because we planted them. The enemy stood outside and put up a little farm stand and was selling the seeds and we went ahead and bought them from him. We said, you know what? These seeds look okay. Ah, just a couple seeds. A little fun. A little, you know, a little worldliness. Won't hurt. I'll plant them in a separate part of the field. That's what happens. Sin yields to more sin. When you plant seeds of sin, you are going to reap the fruits of that sin. You're going to grow weeds. Uncontrollable weeds. Every day, we have to inspect the seeds that we're going to plant and make sure we are not sowing the wrong seeds. Make sure we're not sowing seeds of sin. We mentioned last Sunday about our fellowship. And in our fellowship... We, we came up to this topic of the homeless population. And I have met many. I have met many homeless people. We've had many in the church. But I can easily say that I have never met a homeless person who was a true, genuine, born-again, Holy Ghost-filled Christian. They may have been at one time, but then they fell off the path and they gave in the sin. One of our first church members, I guess you can say, came from another one of our churches. He moved out here because of an ex-girlfriend. They had been talking back and forth online. She said, well, why don't you move out here? He had lost his job where he was living. He was uh, in social services or whatever, which makes no sense. He's like, you're involved in social services and you can't find work and a place to live? So he moved out here to try to get some new life going on. Moved in with his ex-girlfriend. And he claimed to be a Christian. Came from one of our other churches. But you know what? He left God's will. He was not meant to come out here. Let alone move in with someone he wasn't married to. He thought very highly of his salvation. He thought he was untouchable. He moved in with his ex-girlfriend from college. She wanted more than what he wanted. One night he went out to this bar just to watch some football. Had a couple drinks. Got kicked out of where he was living. Became homeless just like that. Couldn't get a job. Couldn't do anything. We had to take him down to the Tacoma Rescue Mission. He just was like, oh, I don't know why this is happening to me. I'm a child of God, blah, blah, blah. And I was telling him, I know why this is happening. Because you're not serving God. You're serving your own flesh. You're sowing the wrong seeds. You know you're not supposed to be doing this. You claim you know all about God and you're quoting your scripture and doing all this stuff. But you do not have the right seeds planted in your life. He's got the seeds, but they're not planted. They're still in the little bag still. I know another family that lost their home due to uh, other members of the family using drugs. 
And now they're homeless. Five something years they've been homeless. Many who are homeless in the common sense were teenage runaways, drug and alcohol users, haters of good things, haters of society. Just talk to some people who are homeless. Ask them why they're homeless. Because usually people who are, you know, hardworking and they had a job and they had a vehicle and they had their life put together who may have lost their house to a fire or an apartment to a fire usually had insurance to cover those things. Or they have a good loving family or friends that would have taken them in. A lot of them were the runaways, the ones who have uh, rejected society. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And as we mentioned uh, the other day, that a lot of them have mental illnesses. But I don't believe they were always like that. I don't believe they were always like that. Because usually if you have schizophrenia and you're a little kid, the school district automatically makes sure you're put somewhere. They work with the parents and put you somewhere. People become schizophrenic and you can go ahead and do your research from psychedelic drugs and other mind-altering substances. From giving their minds over to things of the dark arts or whatever. And just giving their mind over to certain things. There in the Bible, the, the man with the demons, the, the legion, he wasn't always like that. He gave himself over to those things. Now, I'm not putting down these people who are homeless or have mental illnesses. What I'm saying is sin leads to more sin. You plant a sin of sin, the seeds of sin, it's going to grow into wild weeds of sin. And you're going to be too far gone for anybody to help. Drugs are a huge contributor to mental illness. Don't tell me drugs don't hurt people. Don't tell me because I've seen people who are... Who are, they were sharp, they were good in school, they had their right mind, they started doing just the legalized drugs, the ones we have legalized nowadays, and they're just burnt out, they're slow, they can't keep their eyes open, they're just done. I remember one dude in basic training, used to do cocaine, he said, before he got into the army, and he could take things and put it directly through his nose, straight, not up his nose, but through his nose, because the cocaine ate a cavity going from the front of his nose all the way back through his sinuses. A field full of weeds does not feed the soul. You can't eat weeds. You have to sow good seeds for a blessed life. What are the seeds, good seeds in the practical? These are the good things that edify and build us up as believers. We need the good seeds to build us up. This was brought up on Thursday night service. And I've never really heard it put this way. And I'm glad because I can use it today. But there in James 1 to 13 it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So you can't say, God, why do you keep leading me into sin? God, why do, you, why do I keep falling into sin? Why do you keep bringing sin before me? That's not what it's... God doesn't do that. God cannot lead you into sin. And verse 14, there James says that. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. His own lust and enticed. You cannot be enticed by something if you do not have a lust for it. 
you find yourself in a situation where you're struggling and you're saying, God, I'm being tempted of the sin, it's because you have a lust for it in your heart. You have a lust for it. Lust is defined as a sensual appetite regarded as sinful. Let me give you an example. All right, I do not have any desire to eat sushi or to eat eyeballs or chicken gizzards or any of that stuff. I don't have a desire to eat tofu. Thus, if someone presented me a plate of these things, I would not be tempted to eat it. I would not be like, mm, you know what? Hold on, let me... Let me look at that. Turn that plate around a little bit. I don't have a desire from you. Like, get that away from me. I don't want it. But you'll be desired. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. Uh, sushi. And I'm using that as an example. Because we have lust in us. Our flesh is not saved. Our lust is not saved. If there's a particular sin that you cannot overcome in your life, it is because that seed is still in the ground and it is growing. The flesh is not saved, but it can be controlled. Sure. How can this, if, so if you, you're overcome with lust, you find something on the internet that you, you're struggling with, or you're around some friends or co-workers and they're smoking something and you're just compelled to go join them in it, or you want, you drive past that billboard and that frosty cup of alcohol or whatever, and you're like, man, I really would want that. You're, you're, you're overcome with this temptation. How do you control it? We get the answer there in Galatians 5 and 16. This I say unto you, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is the answer. That is how you overcome sin. You walk in the Spirit. Planting good seeds is walking in the Spirit. Bible reading, clean godly music and entertainment, church attendance, witnessing. Witnessing, yes. Soul winning is walking in the Spirit. Soul winning will help you overcome temptation or falling into temptation. Now we do not all meet together for outreach. But that doesn't mean that this has that stops us from doing it. If you feel like you have failed God this week, if you feel like you have not done enough for Him, if you maybe you have fallen into a sin, repent of it, repent of the shortcoming, and then go soul winning. You may say, well, God, I can't go soul winning. I just did this and I just did that. I have no right to go tell somebody about Jesus. That's why you repent of it and then go stick it to the devil. Say, you know what, devil? I failed this week. I gave in the sin. You dangled that carrot before me. And I had that desire in my heart. But I'm getting ready to make a change. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm going to go soul winning. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to open up my Bible. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. And I'm going to fellowship. I'm not going to let sin get me down. I've fallen, but I'm going to get back up. Go soul winning. If you feel like you're not doing enough for God. Go to church. Attend another service. If you're going to watch some good stuff, there's nothing wrong with watching a show or something, but it's better be clean. Because some stuff on those shows can lead you into temptation. 
You don't want to plant the wrong seeds. Paul said to walk in the Spirit, not just say that you are in the Spirit, but we got to walk in it. Work. That's work right there. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith, by grace, through faith. But we're kept by works. You can give your life to Jesus. You stop going to church, you're not going to be saved. You're not going to stay saved. You need to eat. You need to work. Because if you're busy doing things for God, you won't have time for the devil. We got to sow good seeds in our life. Seeds that build us up as Christians. To make us better Christians. And also to make us better witnesses. So that we can sow good seeds in others. We've talked about protecting our testimony. But there's more that we can do. When it comes to others, all we can do is sow in water. Okay? Talked about that earlier. We've done our part. We bring somebody out to church. But here in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, Paul says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Some then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So don't think you're anything special. Don't think that person who watered anything special. It's God that's going to grow the person. That's God is going to bring the fruits of that person to life. All we have to do is plant and water. Plant and water. That means plant. Tell somebody about Jesus. Bring them to church. And then we water it. But it's God that gives the increase. And the same thing in our lives. Sometimes that's, we, we, we find ourselves doing more than we're supposed to. We cannot encroach on God's part of the growing process in a person's life. You cannot stand over the seed because you're going to block the light. You cannot overwater the plant because it'll drown. They say you should water plants every day. But you're only supposed to water it a little bit. Maybe every couple days. Depends on the plant. Same goes with people when we witness to them. It may take several services before a person is ready to pray for salvation. Many people have been ran off and to include in this church because someone decided to take upon themselves to go pray with a person when it wasn't their job to do in the first place. Every person who visits this church comes with a lot of baggage. We did. When we got saved, we came with a lot of baggage. We had all sorts of stuff going on in our life. We didn't even know where we were going. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we had the clear path. God had to reveal that clear path to us. We came to church. I remember my first service. I didn't even know what I was doing. I came and I never heard preaching the way it was. All the churches I go to is just someone up there doing a glorified Bible study. And in verse 4, we see this. And in verse 5, we see that. And you know what? In verse, blah, 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 blah. And it was so tiring. It was a two-hour service. It was so boring. I never got anything. But here I was. And here was this preacher up there. Short little black guy preaching his heart out. And here was this old Korean lady playing the drums. That made no sense to me. And I didn't get a clear vision right away. But I had a lot of baggage. 
I was confused. And so when people come to church, we've got to understand that. And when they come to church, this is what I do as a preacher, as their pastor. I watch them. Throughout service, I watch them to see how their reactions are to the preaching and to the singing. I try to talk with them maybe a little bit before service or after to try to get a hold of what their situation is, what their need is. Because not everybody that comes through the door are sinners. There are Christians that are looking for a home too. But I got to gauge these things. People come with a lot of package and I got to see what their need is. If some lady visits the church and she has a problem with men stalking her or she has a traumatic experience with the sexual abuse, sexual assault, and all these things, the last thing she needs is some member of the church, some guy saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to go talk to her because she can be my wife. Maybe she can do that, you know, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't need that. What she needs is a woman's touch. Not a man going up to her. Because you're going to run her off. I'm going I'm to lead her into salvation. She's not ready to pray for salvation yet. She doesn't even know anything about God. She was invited and she came. If you bring someone to church, you know, fine. You, you can go ahead and pray with them because you probably know them more than I do. You're a co-worker. You're your neighbor or whatever. But still, before we pray with people, let me know. Just give me a little heads up. Hey, can I pray with them? Because what if that person had shared something with me? They came up maybe before service or in the soul winning, and they said, listen, I have an alcohol addiction. I have an alcohol addiction. And I haven't told anybody but you, Pastor. You're the only one. But now, here's the thing with alcoholics. You know if they're addicted because they smell of alcohol. Alcohol stays on the flesh. It comes through the pores. You can smell it. You can tell if their eyes are yellow. That's a sign of alcoholism. But you, So you kind of play dumb and say, okay, yeah, thank you for telling me, even though you probably already knew it. So they come to church. And an altar call comes. And then somebody decides to take it upon themselves to go pray with them. Like I said, they smell of alcohol. So you already know. You know they don't have to tell you they're an alcoholic. Everybody knows the second they walked into the room. But then you go and you say, Oh Lord, deliver this man from his alcohol addiction. Now that man is thinking to himself, That pastor told everybody about my addiction. And he's gone. He'll never come back to the church again. Yes, you had good intentions. You wanted you want to pray with them. And yes, you noticed something that was pretty common to everybody else. But not in that man's mind. Because he can't smell the alcohol in his own breath. I remember the one time we were soul winning. I mean, a pastor. And we walked up to this big old concrete apartment building. And it looked like something you'd see in downtown Iraq. It was uh, big chunks of the walls missing. And it just looked horrible. And we knocked on the door, and we're witnessing, you know, the pastor is talking to the lady, and he's like, you know, let's go ahead and pray right now. And he's praying for her, he's like, Lord, please help her with her finances. And after we got done praying, she looked up, tears in her eyes, she's like, how did you know I had a problem with my finances? Lady, look at where you're living. If you didn't have a problem with your finances, you wouldn't be living in this, uh, you know, falling down concrete building. But I'm just saying, yes, we can see things. We notice things. 
But we've got to be careful on how we handle the situations. Because we'll run people off. We plant bad seeds into their life. That pastor told everybody about my sin. I can't trust Christians ever again. Or this person claimed to be a Christian. And then this is the way they act. This person was telling me that they're a Christian, but then I just saw them curse out the boss. Surely they can't be a Christian. Surely that church isn't doing their job if this man is running around uh, committing sexual and more, whatever that word is, sexual acts against children, or touching women where they're not supposed to be touched or whatever. Immorality, that's what I was looking for. We sow bad seeds in front of others. We can't do that. We got to make sure we are witnesses planting good seeds in other people's lives. And we can't sow seeds of fear in a person's life either, but seeds of hope and love. Less is more. You ever try to witness to somebody and after you got done witnessing to them for about 45 minutes to an hour and a half, you realize, man, I just said too much. I did that not too long ago, and I got a big, big old discussion with this guy, and he was just so beaten down about his life and everything, and I was just trying to, trying to convince him. And I felt like I lost him, because at the end, he still walked away and said, I want nothing to do with God. I failed my mission, because less is more. Less is more. Just give him the basics of the gospel. How Jesus loves them. Don't need to burden them down and confuse them with Old Testament and New Testament parallels and prophecy and all the stuff that happened and Leviticus and the laws of Moses and all those things. None of that matters. What we got to do is lead them to Jesus. Get them saved first. Let them pray for salvation first. Let Jesus into their life first. And God will do the rest. It's Him that grows the people. It's God that grows us. We plant the seed. We're going to have to water the seed in our own lives too. But God will bring the increase. You may know a lot. You may know the Bible cover from cover. But that doesn't mean we need to shove meat down their throats when they're ready for milk. As a pastor, that's what I got to do sometimes. I got to remember that everything I learned in Bible school is not meant to be consumed by people sitting in the chairs and in the pews right away. I don't need to start off our very first service in Revelation if it has nothing to do with salvation. The simplicity of the gospel is what people need first. Sometimes it is okay for the doctor to administer the IV instead of the nurse. What do I mean by that? Has a doctor ever given you an IV? No. It's always the nurse. The nurse is always the one that gives you the IV. The nurse is always the one to check your blood pressure. The nurse is always the one to draw blood. Not the doctor. The doctor orders it. But as, as Christians... As ministers or whatever we are in God. Sometimes we have to step back. 
If there's a big old revival and you got all these preachers up here, God has people preaching, it's okay for the one pastor to say, you know what? I'll worry about making sure the bathrooms are taken care of. I'm a pastor. I should be preaching this revival. It's my duty. Sometimes we have to do what God wants us to do. Sometimes the doctor should be given the IV. Give them Jesus. God gives the increase to the seeds that are sown. Are we sowing weeds and hoping for fruit? Because you're not going to get it. Are we putting filth, filthy entertainment, things of the world in our field, hoping that God is going to bring something good out of it? It's not going to happen. You've got to plant good seeds if you want good fruit. And that includes our lives. And we're going into this new church year. Like I said here, what I do is from August to August. We go through the year because the church anniversary when we pioneered here was in August of 2016. So I, when the next August comes, that's when I'll go through the books and get rid of the old deposit slips and everything. Make sure everything is 100% squared away, which we do anyway throughout the weeks. But I make sure everything is good. It's kosher. I look back on my failures throughout the year, seeing, God, how many people did we bring to church? How many times did we not do what you asked us to do? And how do we do our things better? This year, we want to do things better in this church. And we're doing it slow. we got a microphone stand. Why? So we have somewhere to put the microphone so that she can sing better for the altar calls so that people can hear. Maybe one day we're going to get a microphone to clip on here. I'm looking for a clip-on thing for this table here because a microphone does help. I am yelling right now, and it hurts my throat eventually after a long time of preaching. We want to get better, get more people, because our goal here is to finally get our own space. I'm sick of coming in here and finding that the other churches leave their trash all over the sanctuary. I'm sick of walking down the stairs and smelling that people didn't flush the toilet from the churches previous. Or having to uh, try to cool off the room because another church was in here before us. And that's okay if there's other churches using it. But they don't respect the, the God's house here. They don't respect. And God will not give them their own house. If they don't respect it. The one that he's provided before. But we did. We got those chairs. We went on Craigslist. And we found that they were chairs. And I talked to the landlord. And he got these chairs. We made sure that the downstairs had brand new lighting. And we're working on getting other stuff done. And we've talked to him about the carpet cleaning. And we've helped with painting the walls, even though the other churches messed it up. Because we're showing God that we want our own house. And what does it cost to have our own house? Well, first of all, it's got to probably cost about $2,000 a month to rent out a storefront. 2000 and that's cheap for this area. And that's only going to give us a little uh, hallway type uh, storefront building, like a boutique. But we're going to look into doing bigger and better things. And how is that going to happen? Is if we sow good seeds in our life so that we can pluck from those fruits, take those seeds and put them in the fields of other people so that they can grow. And we can have more people here to have our own uh, house of worship 
so that we don't have to share with other people so that we can have our own revivals. And that's one thing I learned not too long ago is, you know, we're having these revivals and we appreciate the brother that's going around the country and doing revivals. And they're a real blessing. And God is doing some wonderful things in there. But it's been said, you cannot have a revival in a week. It takes multiple weeks. It takes growing. You plant seeds. You've got to have prayer meetings. You've got to have extra soul winnings. You gotta, and I remember back in the uh, old circuit rider uh, days, what they would do with the evangelists when they would come around. He'd have a team of other evangelists with him. He would send them out to the churches. And those churches, they would have special services and get the people ready for revival. And then a month later, that's when the evangelists would show up. And then God was able to truly bring a genuine revival where the Holy Ghost moved in ways that people had never seen and move it in their life prior. But we can't do that without our own building. We can't do that without our own space because we have to share this space and there's other time slots and stuff. We can have a guest preacher here on Sunday morning. We might be able to turn our Tuesday night Bible study into a service, but that's all we have. In other words, we got to go share with another church if we want revival or a special service and that's okay for right now, but we can't stay that way. We've got to grow. God will bring the growth if we water and we plant. And you want to be a better Christian. You want to be able to really be effective in, out in, this, uh, in the world. You want to be able to have good soul winning. You want to know for sure that you are doing what's right for God. Being able to hear His Holy Spirit. You've got to plant the right seeds. Plant the right seeds. So what about it? Have you planted good seeds in this field that God has given you? What are you hoping to reap from your planting? Because we are going to reap something. Either we're going to reap corruption or we're going to reap life eternal. Many come, give their life to Christ, but then they start planting the wrong seeds. Just like the other parable Jesus said, the seeds landed among the stones. Some seeds landed among the thorns. And some landed in the good ground. You've got to have the right seeds. God has given us the right ground. God gave us the right field. It's well watered. He put Israel in the promised land because it was well watered. It was flowing with all sorts of food. Big old grape clusters. I've never seen a grape cluster like the way they described in the Bible where they had to carry it on a, on a stick held by a couple people. The ground is good, but the seeds are bad. We've got to plant the right seeds. We've got to look at the label, make sure it's not weed or weeds or anything else. Got to make sure it says tomato and watermelon and apples and peaches and the good stuff that's of God. Holiness, love, mercy, hope, gentleness, steadfastness, long-suffering, godliness. Those are the good seeds. We need that in our life. Bible reading, fellowship, witnessing, 
Those are the good things. Forgiveness, temperance, forbearance. Those are the good things. If you feel like your walk with God isn't what it should be, you've got to start planting better seeds. Water them. And let God do the rest. Don't overwater them. Do what God says. Water them. Let God do the rest. As we bow our heads and close our eyes in reverence to Him today. We have a brand new field given to us today. That's what God is telling us. He'll clear the weeds away. He'll clear the brush away. He'll get rid of all that stuff. And He'll give you a brand new field full of that precious black dirt. That really wet, precious dirt. It's like the stuff you buy in the stores. They have all those white nutrients mixed in. That precious potting soil. The good stuff. And he's got a whole field full of it. And there are seeds. Good seeds. And then there are bad seeds. Which ones are you going to plant today? Starting today. Starting tomorrow. Starting tonight, whatever it is. What changes are you going to make in your walk with God? What good seeds are you going to plant? What weeds are you willing to rip up? We have an opportunity to have a beautiful field flowing of milk and honey. A beautiful field, precious in the eyes of God, with plenty of fruits and vegetables and all the good things for us to eat, spiritual food. What about today? What are you going to plant today? What seeds are you going to plant today? Let's find a place to pray. Go ahead.